there's four things to getting a perfect photo, and that is you need the equipment, you need the technical skill on how to use it, you need good light, and then most importantly, you need luck. But if you're waiting for the lucky moment and you don't have the equipment, the technical skill and the light, then you're going to waste the lucky moment because you're not going to be in a position to capture it. And I think that's the same with everything. If I hadn't have had the technical skill and the equipment, you know, everything that was gained at university and through life and obviously a childhood with horses, then when the lucky break came that we could star on this TV show, Taming Wild Horses, we wouldn't have had a sea foundation needed to make the most of those opportunities. You have reached Escape the 9 to 5. Please leave a message after the tone. Hi there. I'm doing a boring day job and finding life sucks. Stuck in a 9 to 5 job and looking for something different? Escape the 9 to 5 is your guide to freedom. My name is Steve O'Early and my mission is to help you on your own career change journey. I chat with successful professionals who've either taken the leap themselves or have always done work differently. They share stories so that you can learn from their mistakes and benefit from their successes. Escape the 9 to 5 and join us on our journey to a more enjoyable life. Do you sometimes look at people's lives and think, they just got lucky. I could have lived their life if I'd had the same luck. We all look at moments in our lives and wonder if we'd made a slightly different decision or luck had gone our way, we might have ended up in a better position. I'm host of Escape the 9 to 5, Steve Oily, and this week I speak to Kelly Wilson. She studied design and worked in an advertising agency before quickly realizing the Monday to Friday 9 to 5 job was not for her. She made the jump a lot quicker than you or I, going on to tame wild horses, star in a TV show with her sisters, as well as author books, shoot photography, and generally live an amazing life, traveling the world with a flexible schedule. Do you want to know what the key ingredient is for getting lucky? Kelly shares this as well as how to make the most of your luck when it does eventually come. As always, I'll lay down a challenge to help you on your own journey out of the 9 to 5. If you've done any of the previous challenges, you'll have created space in your mind to think clearly about a career change. You'll have written down how you spend your time and eliminated things that aren't serving you. You'll have started an emotions journal, including writing down something you're grateful for each and every day. And hopefully, you'll have done an honest budget to figure out what is essential spending and cutting back your spending to enable a transition to actually happen. I only ask you to do these challenges because I've done them myself and know they work. They are the result of years of self-development life coaching from a trained professional, multiple sources of career advice, and undergoing my own career transition. I haven't really shared too much of my own story because I wanted to give you a taste for the show before talking about myself. I'm a qualified veterinarian, having studied five years to find myself in a stressful job that most vets I know were not enjoying. I took a break from clinical vet work and went and worked for an animal health corporate, sitting in an office from Monday to Friday, nine to five, regardless of how productive I was feeling. The work itself was cruisy and far less stressful. I lasted a year. Working for a corporate can be soul-destroying and meaningless. We had meetings about meetings, often with two people talking, and the majority of people staring blankly ahead, pretending to look engaged. Any change, 
even the slightest one, required mountains of paperwork. Do you get frustrated in your job at the rules that are there because they always have been, and there being no flexibility for your personal situation? Take for example the 40-hour workweek. Invented by Henry Ford for factory workers in the early 1900s, we've adopted this schedule for almost every single workplace and person. Research shows that in the most productive countries in Europe, they tend to work closer to 30 hours than 40. Why can't you work 7am till 3pm four days a week if this suits you? Going back to my story back in the corporate job, towards the end of 2021, my wife and I had a baby girl. Despite doing my job well and being told so, when I tried to push for more days working from home, it was not accepted, despite having done my job from home for a number of months during the COVID lockdowns. I quit that job and now work as a vet part-time, spending the rest of my working week podcasting and doing career development. I started this podcast because aside from my own personal experience, I had noticed so many of my friends going down the traditional path of college or university getting a 9-to-5 job, and looking successful on LinkedIn, only to discover they were unhappy and looking for a change. If you've gone down the path of getting a qualification and a well-paying job you're not enjoying, it is not too late to change. My mission is genuinely to help successful professionals like you, trapped in similar positions, to escape the 9-to-5. While changing is easy, making the decision is hard. You've probably reached a stage in your career where you're fairly comfortable and paid quite well, but something is missing. We're going to find you that something. Thanks again for supporting Escape the 9 to 5. When I speak to Kelly Wilson in this week's episode, you'll notice that the audio is a bit different. That's because she lives in the country and we spoke on the phone, not by video chat. I joined Kelly summarising her background and how she created a lifestyle to suit her. So I got a scholarship to AUT University in 2007 and did a three-year Bachelor of Design. And initially, I'd gone into that study with the idea of working in an advertising agency as a creative director and also minored in photography and illustration. And from there... I worked in the industry for a year or two working on a magazine and then in 2012 my sister came up with the concept of filming a documentary of my other sister Taming Wild Horses and initially I hadn't planned to be part of that sort of project they were working on and then my older sister broke her arm training the horses and I stepped in as the trainer and it became a documentary which TVNZ saw and then they commissioned a reality TV show based on our work. And from there, it's spiralled. It's been uh, almost nine years now since we started working with wild horses. And from that has become not only a career with horses, but also as an author. And I now have 15 books published. I grew up with horses, competing on the national circuit. At 16 years of age, before I'd headed to university, I'd competed at Grand Prix level and then actually given it up while I was in Auckland. So it was the wild horses that brought me back into horses. I know it sounds like a little bit of an accident, sort of stumbling on the documentary and stuff, but with the degree that you're doing and the work that you were doing, were you enjoying the design that you were doing? Well, actually, 
in university as part of sort of the transition between my second and third year, I'd had to spend some time working in the industry and so I'd worked in an advertising agency over summer and really struggled with the lifestyle I could envision coming from the degree I was working on. So for me, it almost caused me to lose my passion for my final year at university because at that point I couldn't see myself wanting to remain in the industry. I think growing up rural with quite a spontaneous life, you know, as a 12-year-old, my parents had taken us out of school and we'd travelled around New Zealand for four months uh, with our horses, having pretty epic adventures, and I had a couple of years at correspondence school as well. And going from that kind of flexibility to a university and then work and knowing that it was the same thing week after week, waking up at six or seven o'clock in the morning to get ready to commute with traffic for an hour to arrive at work by eight. They encouraged people to work through their lunch break and as an incentive they'd, you know, provide all the meals. And then I think we finished at five, got home by six after battling through traffic again and then you kind of would like fall into bed and it would start again the next day. And that was on a good day and with deadlines, obviously, there were some even later, longer hours. And that kind of day in, day out life just didn't appeal to me. Being trapped in the routine of traffic, work, scheduled breaks, more work, more traffic, and then home in time for dinner, is what Escape the 9 to 5 is all about avoiding. I find it fascinating how people like Kelly and you and I are not suited to the 9 to 5 lifestyle and yet end up falling into the trap of 9 to 5 work. As Christine mentions in our pilot episode, we make our career decisions when our brains are not even fully formed. Sandra Mott, neuroscientist and author of the book Welcome to Your Child's Brain, says the car rental companies got to it first, but neuroscientists have caught up and brain scans show clearly that the brain is not fully finished developing until about age 25. We're essentially making one of the biggest decisions in our life when we're not even really mature enough. Don't beat yourself up about a career decision you probably made when you weren't even old enough to legally drink. I joined Kelly back, asking how she ended up going from a country lifestyle to deciding to do design, a path that would essentially force her to live an urban 9-to-5 lifestyle. A lot of us make big career decisions when we're teenagers and aren't very equipped to make good decisions at all. And then we find ourselves doing degrees and going down paths that aren't necessarily well suited to us. So how did you end up studying design and going down that path? Well, after two years of correspondence school, I returned to a local high school for years 11, 12, 13. And in my final year, I did three art subjects. So I did design, photography, and art painting. And it was it proved to be quite challenging having to create sort of scholarship work for so many subjects. And my teachers said to me, you actually need to sacrifice one of them just to do the other ones justice. So I decided to sacrifice my design subject because it was the only one I was studying by correspondence and the other two painting and photography had teachers. And so I kind of left that one a little bit, got ahead with the others, and then I kind of just rushed and got the work done enough to submit. And from that, I actually got approached by AUT when they saw the boards and offered me a full scholarship 
to study design. For me, I kind of hadn't really thought about going into that field, but I was like, the result came from something that I was obviously naturally talented at because it's the one I put the least amount of effort into. Then it was a career worth pursuing. So it was for me as well, a little bit of an accidental path without much thought and an opportunity presented itself, which I seized. I know it might be a little bit challenging to fully detail, but can you sort of describe what an average week in the life of Kelly Wilson looks like? Oh, that's impossible. There is no average week in my life. At the moment, uh, so as well as an author and reality TV star from several years back, a lot of my time is spent training wild horses. So I'm the only trainer in the world that's placed in wild horse challenges on three continents. So at the moment, my focus is split. So I'll spend a few hours each day editing a book, and I'm currently working on four different books that are all under contract with Penguin Random House. And then on top of that, I'm spending about four to five hours a day taming wild horses. But if you go sort of six to eight weeks back, I was spending 12 hours a day taming wild horses and wasn't writing at all. And if you go forward six weeks, I'll be hosting photography workshops and being a clinician at one of the biggest horse shows in the country. So it's almost seasonal in terms of what my focus is so sometimes I'm more of an author sometimes I'm more of a horse trainer and other times I'm more of a photographer. It sounds like some epic variety so the important question is what's the best parts of your lifestyle? So my absolute favorite thing about what I do is that I get to live out these epic adventures and then write about them so my last book that came out which is Wild Horses of the World It was a six-month adventure around the world, meeting First Nation tribes, living out under the stars, camping in the mountains, tracking wild horses in Canada, America, New Zealand, Australia, and Portugal. So all of those kind of moments, I then come back and I think I spent five months writing it once I returned to New Zealand. So not only do I get to live the adventure for the six months that I traveled, but then I get to come back and relive it as I write it out, which is pretty special. I mean, there was one part in the book where I was talking about an encounter with a grizzly bear kill site that I'd come across and my heart was racing even just rewriting it. So it's pretty awesome, those kind of adventures that I get the opportunity to go on. And do you find that friends of yours who have more routine jobs, do you sort of see any benefits of that at all? Uh, Well, sometimes I think it would be lovely just to like work at a cafe and not have to like think about much and just in the morning just go to job and do the routine but I'd absolutely hate it I'd last a week or two and miss everything about my current lifestyle. Are there any downsides to you for having the inconsistent lifestyle in terms of not necessarily knowing what you're doing in a few weeks time or probably more like in a few months time you might not exactly know what you're doing but are there any downsides? Uh, Well I think because of my upbringing and I've always been quite spontaneous I really enjoy the unpredictability of it. So I kind of have a loose plan of the year and being if an opportunity comes up to go snowboarding because it's an epic powder day, I can just drop everything and go. Or if I get a call from a friend in America who wants me to do a one-month adventure with wild horses, I can just pop across and shuffle things around and kind of make it work. So, yeah, there's generally a loose plan and loose goals that I work towards, but I really do appreciate the flexibility to be able to squeeze things in or move things around when and if I need to. Yeah, I mean, that sounds amazing. 
been able to yep. pop over to the States. I mean, obviously not maybe at the moment, but um, just in general. If there were people that were keen to go to a lifestyle that was less routine, one of the perceived downsides might be that you don't have a like a set salary. Would you get paid on contract or how does it sort of work in terms of managing your finances and that sort of thing? And I know it's a boring question to ask, but it is something that people need to consider if they're going to go away from a routine nine-to-five job. Yeah, it definitely is something that is ever-changing and always flexible. Generally, from my work as an author, I actually earn enough income to do what I want when I want, and that's quite a part-time job. So sometimes it's only writing for two or three hours a day. Other times I won't write for weeks at a time. So I'm very fortunate that most years I have two to three books published, and then it leaves me a very, very large amount of time where... I'm able to do extra stuff. So obviously my photography workshops and my wild horse clinics are almost bonus incomes that I can put into a property which we've just bought or into trips or travel that I'm planning. So in that regard, I'm very fortunate that I have so many sources of income. I think if I was just relying on the writing, it would be quite daunting because I missed a deadline last year which delayed a book for a whole year. And that would really have been a serious concern if it was my sole source of income. But because I have so many different avenues of income, it's always fairly safe. And I've heard somewhere that if you're under financial pressure, it actually stifles creativity. So if the writing was your only source of income, it would possibly make writing less enjoyable and more of a challenge. Yeah, I think just regardless of the money, if writing was all I did, it would stifle my creativity regardless. I found that a few years back, I was doing a lot of freelance design and photography, and it got to the point where I actually lost my passion for photography because it was my money earner. And now that I just do it for a hobby or for the books that I'm working on as sort of passion projects, I love it again. So... I think the reason I love what I do so much is because it's so diverse and I kind of flip between all of these different career paths. So the books that you're writing with the company that publishes them, do they give you like a set salary or do they say if you produce three books this year, we'll give you X amount or is it based entirely on sales? The reason that I'm pushing the financial questions is it's just interesting to understand because a lot of people don't really know how people like you make it work because it's such a different lifestyle to what they used to. Most people are familiar with the, I turn up at the job on 8 o'clock on Monday morning and leave them uh, 5 p.m. on Friday and work pays me routinely every fortnight or every month. With the publishing company, how does it work? So the publishing company generally commission the books And then when a contract is signed, they give me an advance on royalties. And depending on what the book will be sold for, depends on the advance. So some advances might be 4,000, some advances might be 10,000. For my last book, they also gave me a travel bonus. So they paid towards quite a lot of my travel costs to travel around the world. After that, it's all royalty-based. So every single book sold adds to the royalties. And then once every six months, you get a royalty payout. And then you also get a payout from the National Library for the loss of income incurred from people borrowing the books. So, yeah, I would say, you know, even though the work that I do as an author is enough to live off, I would still say it's only about a third of my income. So just even in April, May, I did eight-week wild horse 
workshops and in just eight weeks a third of my income for the whole year came in from that project which is where I mentor people through the process of taming a wild horse. Quote of the day by Anais Nin. Life expands or contracts in direct proportion to one's courage. For people that are sort of stuck in an office job, driving through traffic, just working to make ends meet but not really enjoying their lives, what would you say to someone having doubts about their current career and considering following a passion like you have, not necessarily taming wild horses, but... I would say that your job is actually a vast majority of your life and if you're not passionate about it, you you know it really does affect every facet of your interactions with people and life in general. So if you are wanting to make a change, it would be seriously worth doing some brainstorming and some goal setting and actually figure out what your reason is, like why are you on this earth, what difference do you want to make? If you could do something to earn an income and it wouldn't feel like a job, start actually putting the wheels in motion because I'm very fortunate that even if it wasn't earning me money, not that I could do it in that case, but everything I do I love so much that it would be my hobby even if it wasn't my job. I wouldn't say that there would be that many people that um, doing a nine-to-five job actually would want to continue doing it on the weekends and then their holidays. A lot of people are doing those sort of jobs just to make ends meet. Yeah, um, and I think that we should be passionate about what we're filling our hours with, especially when it's such a large chunk of every day. I know that your situation is particularly unique in that you very much was like a case of a bit of a, not a freak situation, but an unlikely situation. But I suspect that you wouldn't have lasted long in design anyway. You would have ended up doing something similar to what you'd be doing now, regardless of how you first got in there. What would you say to someone, say yourself, currently stuck in Auckland traffic and doing this nine-to-five job that you're not enjoying and considering making a change? Are there some specific tips that you can give to people as to how they can go about it? I think there's a lot you can be doing behind the scene before a really drastic career change is made. So I have a friend that's been writing the books for nine years and it's something she's really passionate about. She feels her spare time doing it and it's never been at the point that it's publishable and so she just kept chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. Now it's at the point where honestly I've read it and it could be an international bestseller. So She's put the hard work over building it up into something exceptional and now she's actually ready for that career break. And I know nine years is a ridiculously long time, but in that time she's actually written five books. So when she gets her lucky break, this could be absolutely life-changing for her. And I think a lot of people think that it should be easy or you know, it's too risky, but if you're actually starting to the foundations before you completely change paths, then it really does reduce a lot of that risk. And even in her case, if it turns out that her books aren't bestsellers and she can't make a living out of it, if she's doing something that she's enjoying, she's got nothing to lose anyway. Yeah, and she still has her normal income the whole way through, so she's never been at financial risk. And she loves it so much that she'll never resent the time she's put into building it. If you look back at your career in terms of placing that scholarship, if you had your time again, would you have done that again? Or do you think that was a waste of three or four or five years of my life before you got into doing what you really wanted to do? 
No, not at all. Uh, everything that we've achieved since both myself and my sisters would never have happened without that really strong educational foundation. So a lot of the design, the marketing, the quality of the photography, how we promote ourselves, how we speak, how we dress, it all comes down to the foundation that I learned at high school, university, and can carry through to our current businesses. So university, regardless of what you're studying, really the biggest thing you can take away from it, even if you don't keep in the same industry, is that it teaches you how to learn and it teaches you to meet sort of a professional standard and there's definitely aspects of it that 100% transfer to every aspect of what I'm doing now. A lot of people look back at college or university and consider it a waste of time, especially if they no longer want to work in the field they studied in. We spoke to director Charlie Parker in episode 3 who felt that way. In my case, I thought university was awesome. I met some amazing people, had a great time, learned some interesting stuff, and even though I don't want to pursue veterinary science for the rest of my life, I've learned so many valuable life skills that are transferable to any profession. Whatever training you've done to reach this point in your career, I guarantee you the training won't have been for nothing, and you'll have picked up skills during your working life you can use in your new livelihood. I absolutely would not be where I am today. And when it comes to success, a photographer that I studied with in Europe, she said there's four things to getting a perfect photo. And that is you need the equipment, you need the technical skill on how to use it, you need good lives, and then most importantly, you need luck. But if you're waiting for the lucky moment and you don't have the equipment, the technical skill and the light, then you're going to waste the lucky moment because you're not going to be in a position to capture it. And I think that's the same with everything. If I hadn't have had the technical skill and the equipment, you know, everything that was gained at university and through life and obviously a childhood with horses, then when the lucky break came that we could star in this TV show Taming Wild Horses or my sister got invited to compete in the World Championships, we wouldn't have had the foundations needed to make the most of those opportunities. I think that photography analogy is actually a really good one. Yeah, no, it definitely, because like, I often get told that I have a really lucky life, and for sure I've had lots of lucky moments, but everybody gets lucky moments. It's just whether they have the underlying foundation to really seize those opportunities. Because there's so many people that would have had the same dose of luck that you had. It would have been something completely different, but they might have stumbled upon something or someone said, you tend to really enjoy this kayaking trip and you seem to be really good at it, why don't you become an instructor or whatever it is that people want to do. And then they just kind of convince themselves that they're better off playing it safe. And it's kind of sad. Yeah, no, I reckon everybody gets luck but they just don't recognise the opportunities when they come their way. And I think it's a bit desensitised to it, not realising that life can be different. So when my sister got scouted for the World Championships, it's like a wild horse challenge we got three days to ride a wild horse and compete and we were over in Australia she was only there by chance because she was supposed to be competing in the wild horse challenge and her horse couldn't compete so she was just there watching and supporting myself and my little sister ride and we got to talking with some guys someone had just pulled out of the world championships because of an injury and they were looking for a female to replace it they kind of were joking around they're like oh well let's put Vicky's name forward so they rang the American organisers, 
and they're like, sweet, but she's this New Zealand girl. And she got selected. That could have been the end of the story. She got selected and then she didn't have the guts to go across and do it. Or she got selected and didn't have the skill to win it. She went across and on the first day dislocated her shoulder while she was in the arena. (laughs) She's got two more days of competition with the wild horse. That's pretty stroppy. She just kept on working with a dislocated shoulder and ended up winning. And there's just so much publicity about how gritty she was. I mean, she was in agony. She was just having ice baths all night long. She won it. And then that because every year the World Championships has a theme. And the theme that year was that only women were allowed to compete to represent their country. And it's generally a male-dominated industry. And so a lot of people were saying, you know, if she'd been up against men, would she really have won? So... The next year, she got invited back to compete, but the twist was that only previous world champions could represent their country. So the following year, she went up against men that had all previously won, and she won again. Oh, yes. So, yeah, I mean, she had the technical skills, she had the experience, she had the equipment, she had the knowledge, so that when the opportunity came, she actually didn't just make do or represent, she actually, like, rose to the occasion and won. She was never planning to compete in the World Championships and she had trained specifically for it. But when the lucky break came, she had the skills from like a whole lifetime of learning and upskilling to be able to hold her own in the arena. There's also another huge part of it, which is actually probably the biggest thing that you did to make your own luck was actually having the guts to pursue it. No, actually, that's a very valid point. We have made some very bold choices in our life. And in hindsight... I look back and we could never have got to where we are on purpose or in some regard if we'd known just how difficult or just how costly it was going to be in advance. Sometimes we would never have like stepped beyond it. But once we're in the midst of it, we've just made the most of every opportunity. But yeah, sometimes in hindsight, we're like, wow, that was a really bold move. I can't believe we pursued it. Am I correct in saying, did you do that trek through Mongolia? Yes, and that was definitely one of those moments where I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself into. So I had a friend who hosts expeditions in Mongolia, and she rang up and said, we're going in a month, there's a space, do you want to come ride a camel across the desert? And I said, yeah, 100%. So I literally booked my flight within 48 hours, said I'd do it, and then she sent me the list of what I needed to pack, and it was this full Arctic wardrobe. And... (laughs) When I thought camel and desert, I'm thinking warm, summer, <laughs> summer, summer. And it ended up being a Arctic crossing on camels in conditions as low as negative 43 degrees. And with the wind chill factor some days, it felt like negative 60. So I had to get Arctic clothing from Norway. The first night in Mongolia, it was so cold that outside our gur, which is like a nomadic tent, a cow and four goats froze to death. And that was like the start of a three-week ride where we're crossing the Gobi Desert on camels and that's a classic example if I'd known the expense of the trip and I'd known how challenging it would be in advance I probably would never have said yes to it but once I'd committed I was like sweet well let's make the most of it and it really was life-changing and one of the best trips of my life. That was adventurer, wild horse tamer, author and photographer Kelly Wilson. You can find out more about Kelly at kellywilson.nz or Instagram at kellywilsonnz. So three tips from Kelly. One, find something you're interested in pursuing and it will eventually become your passion. Start laying down the foundations now so that when you do eventually change, you're reducing the risk of failure. 
Number two, ensure you have the equipment, skills and experience to make the most of your luck when it comes. This means getting a strong educational foundation in an area you're interested in and getting some life experience. So when your lucky break eventually comes, you'll actually be able to grab it. This will likely take years, but if it's something you enjoy, it will be worth the time and effort. I think an important point that Kelly makes here is even if you don't stay in the same field as what you studied at university, it teaches you how to learn and how to meet a professional standard. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you already have a strong educational foundation and heaps of life experience. Even if your job is stressful, you hate it, and you never want to go back to that industry again, I guarantee you'll have learned something from the experience and be better off for it. The final tip for this week, have the guts to pursue an opportunity when it presents itself. That way, creating your own luck. We all get opportunities in life, but you've just got to take those opportunities when they present themselves. You might call someone lucky, but really, they're just making the most of their opportunities. This week's challenge is a career brainstorm. As Kelly suggested, get a big piece of paper and brainstorm some ideas around making a career out of things you're interested in. Challenge accepted. When you find something that sparks your interest, find a way to make this part of your week. It may involve signing up to some form of training, but whatever it is, if you don't add it into your life in some way, it will never happen. So if you decide that, I don't know, you are really good at painting and you want to add painting to your life in some shape or form. You could sign up to a painting class weekly so that it's in your uh, schedule. Or alternatively, you could actually schedule some time in your calendar to actually paint. Another option is even just to um, put an ad out for um, free painting in an area you're interested in. And you start doing weekly painting for people and eventually over time you're comfortable enough with your work that you start charging people for it. It's got to start small and gradually build. You can't magically go from being a office worker to the world's best painter overnight. You've got to gradually build these things into your life. And yes, there are some stories of people jumping and we will talk to someone later in the season who did jump. But for most people, transitioning slowly into your new livelihood is going to be a lot more achievable, a lot less stressful, and a lot more enjoyable. So this week's challenge, do a career brainstorm. Challenge accepted. Thanks for listening to Escape the 9 to 5. I hope this episode has given you some inspiration to making change out of the boring existence we call work. Do you really want to be doing what you're doing for the rest of your life? Or are you ready to escape the 9 to 5? If you are, I suggest you join our Facebook group, Escape the 9 to 5 Podcast. There you'll be joining a community of successful professionals on their own journey out of the 9 to 5. They're looking to lead more interesting and enjoyable lives. This week we'll be discussing ways you can create your own luck and how to prepare yourself when those lucky moments do happen. Spoiler alert, the more effort you put into something, the luckier you'll get. Escape the 9 to 5 is a Deals Media production. If you felt like this episode brought you any value at all and helped you on your journey to escaping the 9 to 5, please do give us a rating if you're on Apple or Spotify podcasts. Otherwise, make sure you subscribe on whatever app you're listening on. This show is produced and created by me, Steve O'Ealy, 
Editing is thanks to Jeremy Grater. And show music is thanks to Mikey Geiger. For more information and support, please visit our Facebook page, Escape the 9 to 5 Podcast. Links to this are in the show notes. See you next time on Escape the 9 to 5.